Well, welcome to Sisterhood. We are in week two of our curriculum on the unseen journey, and I'm gonna talk to you today about beginning with the end in mind. Now, there are a number of things in my life that I would not even consider doing if I did not have the end in mind. The first one of those would be waxing my eyebrows. <laughs> Girls, be thankful that I do that because you walk into the salon and these ladies are so sweet and bubbly and nice and then they torture you. And any of you that consider waxing any more than your eyebrows, you deserve an extra jewel in your crown. That's craziness. <laughs> I would never eat healthy if I did not begin with the end in mind. Because in my opinion, kale and Brussels sprouts should be replaced with french fries and chocolate. I mean, right? However, I don't want to feel the way french fries and chocolate leave me feeling, so I guess I will leave the kale on my menu, maybe not the Brussels sprouts. Childbirth. <laughs> if I did not have the end in mind, childbirth would be out the window, right? For those of you who have had children, you need no more explanation. For those of you who have not had children, I will not terrify you. Another thing that I would not do if I did not have the end in mind is parenting. Because let's be real, ladies, some days I am just so thankful that my children are going to grow up and probably reduce, reproduce their own offspring and reap what they have sown. <laughs> I'm keeping the end in mind. But here's the deal. If we don't know what our destination is, then how are we going to know when we have gotten there? Where are you going? And are you sure that you have the right answer to that question? You see, the end of our journey isn't just to see a trial come to an end, but it is to partake in the purpose of God for our lives and what the Bible calls in 2 Peter 1 for exceedingly great and precious promises. It's not just to survive but it is to grab hold of the promises that God has given us in his word and spoken over our lives. So we're gonna spend today looking at how we accomplish that. And the first way we do that is by waging good warfare. Jesus endured trials, did he not? I mean, he was beaten and despised, rejected by those he came to the earth to save. He was betrayed by those closest to him. And Hebrews tells us that he accomplished all of this by focusing on the joy that was set before him. Look at with me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse one and two. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus didn't focus on what was going on in his life currently. He didn't keep his eyes focused on what he could see in front of him. In fact, if you read the story of the Last Supper, he acknowledged that the person who would betray him was sitting at the table before him. But he didn't keep his mind and heart and thoughts focused on that. But it says that he focused on what was going to come out of that and the greater purpose that God was going to accomplish through that season. The Israelites in our Exodus story, they didn't do this. They had seen God do the miraculous in parting the Red Sea. They had experienced a miracle. 
right? And yet as soon as giants started to come against them, they trembled in fear and forgot what God had promised them to deliver them to a land flowing with milk and honey, to bring them into a promised land. And they trembled in fear and trepidation rather than remembering what God had done and where he was bringing them. So what is your destination? And what are you focused on? Where are your thoughts today? Where are you setting your mind and your heart? You see, we are called to focus on the promises, not on what we can see with our physical eyes. So if you need healing, are you focusing on 1 Peter 2, 24 that says, by his stripes, we are healed? Are you walking in that healing and believing God for it? Or are you giving in to what you can see and feel in your physical body? Or the doctor's report? Can I tell you that I have a, a friend whose brother was diagnosed with cancer last week, brain cancer, getting ready to go in for surgery this week, and they walked in and they said, oh, sorry, we were wrong, no cancer, and he was healed. 35 years old. Are we focusing on what God is going to do and his healing power or what we can see in the natural? When we need provision, are we focusing on the bill that came in that we don't know how to pay or are we looking at his word in Philippians 4.19 when it says that my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory? All of them. Not just the ones that he feels like providing, but every single need we have, he has promised to take care of us in his word. Where is your focus? When you're weak, when you're weary, when you're overwhelmed, are you leaning on Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29, that says he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might, he increases strength. How many want a strength increase? Because we do get tired, ladies, we're human. But we don't have to rely on our own strength. We can draw from the strength that comes from an almighty God. And he has promised in his word to provide that to us. We wage good warfare by remembering what he said, and then we refuse to believe anything contrary to it. So when what we see is contrary to what we know, we ignore it because we're way more focused on the joy that is set before us than the trial that is in front of us. And this journey is way more than about seeing a trial come to an end, but it is about partaking in the plan that God has for our lives. So what is God's purpose for our lives? We're gonna look at Psalm 139, starting at verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me. When as yet there were none of them, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. The word fashioned here in the Hebrew is the word yasar, and it means to squeeze into shape. I do not want to be squeezed, unless it's a hug from one of you. Right? That doesn't sound fun. However, this is referring to the work of a potter as he molds and forms the clay. And each and every one of us was created for a purpose and is being molded and shaped into the image that our Father God has created for us to accomplish his purpose. Our days were fashioned by him and he thinks precious 
thoughts about you. Verse 17 said, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Some of you need to stop there and meditate on that word for a minute. Because you don't believe that your father thinks precious thoughts towards you. You have a hard time believing that he could see good in you and you have focused so much on your shame or your sin or your insecurities or insignificance rather than recognizing that when Jesus went to the cross and paid it all, we were clothed in the robe of his righteousness. And when our father looks at us, he sees us in that righteousness. He sees, the, he sees us clothed with what Jesus did for us and that makes us enough. We don't have to strive to attain, to become something, to be good enough, to have enough, to be smart enough. We already are enough. And to say at any point in time that you are not enough is also saying that the blood Jesus shed on the cross wasn't enough for you. The blood is enough, girls. There is a plan for your life and God created you for a reason and he gifted you for a purpose. And all too often we look to our careers, our education, our financial status, our accomplishments, people, relationships, Facebook likes, Instagram posts. We look to everything else for our validation, our purpose, and our security. And anytime we focus more introspectively rather than at Jesus, we're going to be frustrated. And we're not going to find what we're looking for. God is calling us to quit looking inward and start looking upward and focusing on him and on what he wants to do. So to find God's will for our lives, we've got to go to the word. The plan is God's, it's not ours, and we are not responsible for engineering the plan for our lives. We don't have to be a master architect and figure all of it out. We don't have to come up with some incredible blueprints and present them to God so that we can prove to him that we have big dreams. We just need to submit to him and he will make those dreams come to life within us. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23 says, Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. We read this verse and we want God to just lay it all out there, right? Like, Jesus, just give me the blueprints. I want your blueprints, just go ahead and hand them to me so I know what to expect, so I know how long this trial is gonna last, how long this journey is gonna take, and I'll feel so much better about it, right? Unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Because this journey of faith requires complete and total reliance on him. And if he were to tell us the end from the beginning, we would manufacture our own circumstances to try to get us there. But the reality is that there are things you need to go through, people you need to meet, circumstances that need to happen that are refining you where you are right now. And it is in this season that God is preparing you for the call he has for you in the next season. But I also don't want you to be so focused on the next season that you don't recognize the purpose he has for you today. Because even in what he's doing in this season, right now, even if it's not fun, is working together a greater glory. And there are people that you need to rub shoulders with and be in contact with and be an iron sharpens iron with so that they can be changed and so you can also. But you know what, if we had the end from the beginning, we would try to get to the end in our own strength 
and in our own steps, and it would never require us to lean fully on Jesus. God is way more concerned with our character than our comfort. Because he's good. Because he's good. He has said, be holy as I am holy. And so the work that he's doing now is working out our character so that we look more like him to a world that desperately needs him. And as we place God first, the desires that we have are gonna be hugely affected. And we're not gonna have to try to figure out which desires are his and which desires are ours because his desires are gonna become our desires. Psalm 37 verse three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. The first thing that this tells us to do is to delight ourselves in the Lord. And Webster's Dictionary defines delight as to affect with great pleasure, to please highly, to give or afford high satisfaction or joy. That sounds lovely. And where is that found? Only in Jesus. And when we think of delighting ourselves with something that's great satisfaction or joy, I think way too often we are drawn to the things of this world rather than recognizing that true delight is only found in Jesus because it's the only thing that's gonna last the things that we delight ourselves in of this world, they fade away. They don't, they don't sustain. So what does it mean to delight ourselves in God? Well, the Hebrew word for delight is anag, and it means to be soft or pliable. That definition is referring way more to the condition of our hearts than it is to a feeling or an emotion. So how do we have soft and pliable hearts? Well, let's Go back to the dictionary and look at the opposite of soft and pliable and look at the definition of hardened. And that is made hard or compact, made unfeeling. So a heart is going to be soft and pliable toward whatever it focuses upon and whatever it pays more attention to and puts more faith in. So if your heart is regularly focused on Jesus and his word and focusing with the end in mind, then your heart is gonna be more soft and pliable towards that. And if it's focused on the things of the world, then it's going to be more directed towards worldly things. And we see examples of hardened hearts all throughout scripture. Exodus chapters one through 15, we see the story of Pharaoh and Moses goes before him with supernatural sign after supernatural sign and Pharaoh refuses to submit to the will of God. His heart was hard. And because of his refusal to submit to what God wanted to do, it ended up costing the lives of the people he was responsible for, and eventually he lost his own son because of a hardened heart. But lest you think that that doesn't qualify us because we believe in Jesus, we also see in scripture that the disciples had hardened hearts. Mark chapter six, we see the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. And his disciples are with him there, they witness the miracle, he had all this bread left over. And at the end of the feeding of the 5,000, he puts the disciples in a boat out on the water and then Jesus himself goes to be alone and pray. And you'll see in scripture that a storm comes and when a storm comes, the disciples are in fear and Jesus comes to them walking out on the water and we're gonna pick up in 
verse 49 of Mark 6. It says, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased. And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Can you underline that on your handout? And they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Okay, Jesus is with his disciples and he performs this big miracle. And then he puts them in a boat, they're out on the water, and they become afraid. And Jesus says that they didn't understand the miracle that he had done at the feeding of the 5,000 because they were amazed and marveled. Now that can be a little confusing, like what do you mean? What, what, what is wrong with that? Jesus was frustrated that they didn't expect him to perform a miracle. The disciples had been with Jesus day after day. They knew his character, they knew who he was, they had seen him do countless other things in their midst, and yet they were still in shock and awe that God would do a miracle in their presence. And ladies, we are way too surprised at the miracles that God wants us to do, wants to do in our lives rather than expectant of them. And God's saying, if you know me, if you know my character, if you know what the word God, of God says about me, then you are going to start to expect me to move in your life. Hebrews 11:6 says, now without faith it is impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. We often stop at just believing he exists and we stop believing for the miracles. We stop being expectant that he's going to heal. We stop being expectant that he's going to provide in our finances and it's like amazing that he does it. Instead of just saying, oh of course he provided in my finances, why wouldn't he? Oh, of course he healed my friend. Why wouldn't he? God is saying that if we are not expectant of him doing miracles in our lives, it is a sign that our hearts are hard. What are you expecting from him today? These were the best friends of Jesus. <laughs> they were close to him and still had hardened hearts. This is why two believers can sit side by side in a service week after week and one can be changed and one cannot because there are parts of our hearts that become hard and we're not being soft and pliable and yielding to the work of the Spirit. So what does all of this have to do with our destination? In order to hear God's voice and know our destination, we have to keep our hearts soft towards Him. They must be pliable, and intentional, and we have to focus our attention on him. Amen? If we commit our way to the Lord, then this journey we're on, he's just gonna naturally bring the destination to pass. We're not gonna have to fight for it, we're not gonna have to work hard to manufacture a destination. He's just going to naturally lead us there when we allow him to guide and direct all of our steps. 
and there's no way of getting around this pattern. You see, oftentimes, when it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, we focus on the second part. And we say, oh, I have desires in my heart, and so since I have desires, I'm gonna now go to the Lord, and I'm gonna pray, and then he'll bring them to pass. But that's not the order that scripture put them in. The order is delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Because he knows that once we have delighted in him, he is going to give us his desires rather than us trying to bring our desires into submission under him. Ladies, there are things I desired in my 20s that I really thought I wanted. And there were moments when God didn't bring dreams to pass or things that I thought I wanted for my life and I was frustrated and I didn't understand why God would fulfill everybody else's dreams and forget mine. His dreams for my life are far greater than what I manufactured at 20 years of age. And he is working a far greater purpose in my life as I have learned to yield and to submit to that rather than trying to force him to get on my page. It doesn't work. We're made for a purpose and God wants us to find that purpose and he's going to piece by piece reveal that destination to us as we delight in him. Ladies, lay down what you want and ask him what he wants. Ask him to give you a heart like his. So we're talking about destination, but before we close, I wanna caution you about something that could prevent you from fully entering into what God has for you. And it's a little thing called compromise. You see in Numbers chapter 32, we see the story of the Israelites and they are about to enter the promised land. They are there. They have wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, and they are about to take hold of what God has for them. There are 12 tribes that made up Israel, and three of those tribes saw land just outside the promised land that looked good to them. And so they went to Moses and they said, can we skip entering the promised land and just settle right here? because this land looks amazing for our animals and for our family. We'd be really comfortable right here. And you know what God said? He said, sure, you can do that. And scripture doesn't even tell us that he got mad. But after all of that, after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, after experiencing the miracles of God, after the hardships, snakes, drought, lack of food, all of it, they stopped just short of the plan that God had for them. If it was God's plan for them to settle right outside the promised land, he would have told us that in his word. But his word says that his plan was for them to enter a land flowing with milk and honey that he had prepared for them. And rather than enter into the full promise, they stopped where it looked good to their own eyes. Ladies, let's not settle for good enough. Let's not get comfortable with what looks good in our own eyes. Because there is a promised land that God has for each and every one of us. And it is good. Some of us have a hard time believing that it's good. 
because the dreams that we had that we didn't submit to our father didn't come to pass and so now we just have to question whether or not he's really a good father. We believe in him. We know he's faithful. But we don't trust that what he has for us is his highest and his best because what we have seen in our natural doesn't feel good. I can promise you that the Israelites walking through the wilderness for 40 years, it didn't feel good. And we can see that all throughout scripture. There's whining and complaining and moaning and grumbling and questioning God. But God isn't calling us to stop believing at just who he is. But he's also calling us to know his character and believe in what the word promises he will do. And the word promise, the word promises that he has exceedingly great and precious promises for each and every one of you. That he created you for a purpose. He didn't forget where you are. He didn't make a mistake. It's part of the journey. Because he's way more worried about our character than our comfort. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you have a purpose and a promise land for us and that you are working all of that out, Jesus, so that you can be glorified and we can mature. And I pray, Jesus, that you would use these words of scripture to encourage, challenge, and strengthen our hearts so that we may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. In Jesus' name, amen.